Tickets.com and our indie bookstores. Want to feel fresh hope, fresh energy? Join us February 2nd. And you're listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up. In darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Did you hear that last show? I love it. It, It's never going to end. They were talking about Professor Pinker's book, The Blank Slate, The Denial of Human Nature. Oh, oh, oh. I think it's Virginia Woolf who said, uh, men don't think they measure. Uh, Gender studies seems to be a place for people to work out their... uh, what is it? Uh, their feelings, let's say, their feelings. What I try to try to tell at least young people is that equal is not the same. Yes, we put that up on the uh, chalkboard, I remember, and argued for an hour. Yes, equal is not the same. Equity, uh, rights, yes, uh-huh. uh, equality under law, that has absolutely nothing to do whether girls like pink and boys like blue. Anyway, uh, my favorite, my favorite, uh, uh, what do you call that, uh, analogy is that uh, men learn from the animals and women learn from the plants, which is why men stand up and women sit down. Let's face it, there are certainly uh, differences between the genders. Uh, the question, of course, is <laughs> what they are. Uh, never mind. Uh, today is January the 31st, 2017. Oh, God, January is a whole month of Mondays. Never mind, never mind. Uh, I think that uh, today I, I had a shock. I got a letter here, and it's completely serendipitous. I was going to thank listeners for the kind letters that I got last year. Uh, in January, I tried to go through everything and uh, look at the, the letters and the notes and review, yes, review my notes. This is uh, a note from a dear listener who has written to me several times, and uh, uh, she's writing about the the death of the lovely British councilwoman 
you may or may not remember that, and she sent me a couple of poems that I just need to read to you because they uh, they seem to speak to my feelings. The first is a couple lines from W.H. Auden. Somewhere a strange and shrewd tomorrow goes to bed planning a test for men from Europe. No one guesses who will be most ashamed, who richer, and who dead. Yes, we will see, won't we, boys and girls? We will see. It's going to be a bumpy, a bumpy four years. Fasten your seatbelts. The other poem that she sent is just... Uh, I think it's it's the sort of thing, well, I'll post it over my typewriter and see uh, what I can do with it. Uh, I'm always always wanting to take poems and continue them. You know, it's by Elizabeth Bishop. And uh, it's, uh, I guess, it's not really for old people, but it's for this old person. The title is One Art. The Art of Losing... Isn't hard to master. So many things seem filled with the intent to be lost, that their loss is no disaster. Lose something every day, except the fluster of lost door keys, the hour badly spent. The art of losing isn't hard to master. And then practice. Losing farther, losing faster, places and names and where it was you meant to travel, none of these will bring disaster. Uh, The losses uh, in recent weeks (laughs) will bring disaster, I guarantee you, folks. Uh, uh, Diane Feinstein was on C-SPAN, and uh, she, uh, yes, she called this situation we're in a mess. Uh, anyway, right, it's January, people, it's January, so February's got to be more fun. That's my, uh, that's my decision. Uh, let's hope, yes, we find some fun stuff. We're so lucky to be alive, I tell myself, isn't that right? Aren't we lucky? <laughs> We're still in the running. Ah, Diane Feinstein, she says it's a mess. I agree, it's a mess, boys and girls. Uh, we gotta hang tough. That's, that's, that's the rule. Uh, I just want to say how grateful I am to all those folks out on the street, in the front lines. They're in the heart of the struggle. I keep thinking of the scene 50 years ago, uh, 1968. You may be old enough to remember all that mess in Chicago <coughs> at the convention. I think, I think we can say that the violence then was worse, especially because most of it was protest over the Vietnam War. That was a biggie. It may have been 
America's worst. Uh, well, I don't know. I think the competition there, uh, Iraq, but the body count, of course, is higher <clears throat> for Vietnam. But then those cops and all those ferocious young men, uh, I don't know, you know, whether it's the, well, <laughs> I don't like to say good guys and bad guys anymore. Uh, when I see this uh, scene, this uh, battle, let's call it, the struggle going on, uh, I just try to think about uh, what you call that, uh, that arc of history. You remember they always tell us about that arc of history and uh, how it bends towards justice and, you know, the evolution of consciousness. Are we any wiser? Uh, you know, uh, does that arc, is it bent toward justice? Right. I keep trying to visualize it. Uh, do we see the better man and the wiser woman? I I think so. I see a lot of young people who are a hell of a lot smarter than I ever was. But it's kind of difficult. Um, yes, the blank slate, human nature. I got to get that book by Pinker. <laughs> you know, I I think that I think that uh, knowledge and awareness is inherited, right? I think it does come down from one generation to the next. But that's very mysterious. Uh, let me pin that down. Anyway, I think that what matters to me is that so many of us have learned to be joyous even in the midst of all this brouhaha, to practice joy in the midst of uh, our sorrows. Brazil is the best place for that. Just, just keep dancing, folks. Uh, hell's bells, the human race, is a glorious thing. Uh, we certainly have our good days. Since the election uh, in November, I, uh, I leave my TV on 24-7. I turn off the sound, listen to the radio for news information, but... I just like to glance over at C-SPAN. Uh, every time I pass the, the box, I look at C-SPAN and I appreciate that there's no commercial BS or promotional glitz. Just an ongoing parade of faces and, you know, the basic facts. Uh, it's calm. They uh, have been running the protests, the courageous people out there with their shoulders to the wheel uh, all over the world people seem to get it even in the UK uh, although the Prime Minister there uh, is trying trying to be friendly still never mind uh, last night the lineup was fascinating uh, uh, C-SPAN had Bernie Sanders, Nancy Pelosi, Elizabeth Warren, Madeleine Albright, uh, John Lewis, and a whole bunch of uh, individuals, uh, refugees, immigrants. Uh, all the people were huddled up in the cold. Uh, the uh, The energy and the courage is inspiring. I, I just can't help wondering 
how long they're going to be able to keep it up. <laughs> yes, Al Franken, right. It was a trip. And a lot of congressmen and women, uh, I think, uh, uh, Barbara Lee, she spoke of the un-American activities in the White House. She didn't say that. She did not use those words. I, I like those words. The un-American activities of, uh, DJ Trump. Anyway, uh, I think, uh, yes, I think that this mess, yes, this mess, uh, is, is the sort of thing that well, it, the best thing to do is get together with your friends and don't don't worry about it alone. Do your hand hand wringing in a group. That way you can find the the fun stuff. Uh, I do like Diane Feinstein. She uh, she came on like a uh, what is that? Uh, well, not exactly Joan of Arc. Uh, the images of her were on the floor of the Senate. Uh, no. I know that for a lot of people, Diane Feinstein, well, it's not, she's not their favorite senator for a lot of reasons, but, uh, <laughs> I have always admired her. Ever since the day I saw her on camera in San Francisco, uh, she stood at the head of a staircase, uh, she was a supervisor then, she had not yet become the mayor. Uh, when she stood there before the crowd in City Hall, uh, it, well, I don't think she meant it to be melodramatic, but, uh, she stood there. She had to tell the crowd to say that Mayor Moscone and gay supervisor Harvey Milk had been shot and killed by Dan White. All those years ago, all those years ago, in my naivete, I was one of those who thought, oh, gosh, this tragedy, that's going to put an end to all this uh, macho solutions to personal pain. Everybody will understand that, you know, of course, the police culture protected the assassin, Dan White, and I believe he was one of their own for a long time. I don't remember exactly what his job was, but he was in the police for a while. However, uh, Dan White himself, he couldn't handle the way uh, the justice system let him off. Basically, I think he got a few years, five years was it anyway. His subsequent suicide seemed inevitable. Um, nobody took much notice of it, I'll say that. Uh, I know when the uh, verdict came in, the whole city rose up as one, uh, not just the gay community, but all of us. Uh, anyway, I kind of doubt if that sort of thing helps angry young men examine their lives, you know, find creative ways to handle defeat and humiliation. Hell hath no fury like a white man's scorn. Uh, when Mayor Moscone wouldn't give Dan White his uh, supervisory job back and Harvey Milk gave Dan White no support. Well, well, what I'm talking about here is my ongoing dread of the male malaise. This danger that all of us are in when insecure men are humiliated. 
<laughs> when their power is taken away, sometimes they get nicer when they uh, come to power, but not for long. You remember Timothy McVeigh? Remember the federal building in Oklahoma? Timothy McVeigh he was in the military for a while, but after he came out of the military, he tried to go back in as a Green Beret, and it didn't work out. He, he apparently washed out on the tests, and uh, so he went and found meaning elsewhere. White supremacy, they say, is uh, one of the top threats in the U.S. of A. Uh, uh, Timothy McVeigh destroyed the lives of 169 people. <laughs> Oh, that federal building, uh, the uh, federal building in Oklahoma, it, it, uh, it had a child care center and all the little ones there. Uh, never mind. Stop, stop, stop. There is no end to this stuff. And I have promised myself over and over again that uh, I will not do the hand wringing anymore. All I can do is just state the obvious over and over. We all know. We all see what's going down. Uh, uh, I'm just too old to dwell on the dark side. I have no right having lived this long. Anyway, yeah, my time is running out. Uh, any time left should be given to optimistic interpretations. Uh, I'm always thinking of those who are gone now. You know, what would they say? Uh, they don't have a chance to speak anymore. I think of my parents. Uh, so many people, uh, uh, they're gone now. I think of, well, uh, I think of the ones, my list, at the top of my list this week is the 99-year-old scholar and activist, uh, William Mandel. Uh, he was a, uh, Soviet scholar, the best, a major figure on these airwaves since the very beginning up until 1995, uh, when he bit the dust. Bill Mandel is the one who stood up to the House Un-American Activities Committee in the 50s. In the wake of the McCarthy hearings, uh, he told those senators on the committee, he told them off in no uncertain terms. Oh, if you think I'm going to cooperate with you guys, you got another thing coming. That was the essence of what he said. Of course, it was not flippant or uh, trivial the way I am. His delivery was certainly theatrical and dramatic. Uh, <laughs> that reminded me of the style of KPFA's own Eric Bowersfeld, another heartfelt loss last year. Uh, Eric Bowersfeld was the department head for our drama department when we had one. <laughs> Sadly, that's all over. Don't start. No, no negativity. I just want to remember how much we owe all those that we've lost. And, of course, it's my business, our business, to try to carry on, do some of the things that they did back in the day. I want to show gratitude for public radio, for all our democratic institutions, and most of all, for the free press. Ah, thinking of Bill Mandel this past weekend, I went to my file, uh, his books and 
notes about his life, his incredible biography now. His is a 20th century life to remember, to um, uh, memorialize. The two of us, well, he and I used to go to the KPFA uh, Crafts Fair at Christmas and sell our books. Bill would talk to people about the then Soviet Union, and I would talk to our listeners about feminism and film. <laughs> I remember uh, defending Hillary Clinton, so many guys seemed to think back then and maybe today that uh, Hillary Clinton is the Antichrist uh, public enemy. I hope that that... <laughs> That point of view has bitten the dust. Don't start once again. I want to read you an excerpt from an essay about Bill Mandel. The essay starts out with Bill and uh, goes on to describe some of KPFA's hilarious internal chaos. I would have a footnote here. Be sure to tell people that this article uh, does not refer to any persons now... uh, Working at KPFA, <laughs> this is this is all in the past, you know. It was 1995. This article was written. We saw a purge of the elders that year. Uh, I was cut back to I think ten minutes, ten minutes once a week. Okay. Uh, the letter that I got with the poems in it points out that uh, the purge of the elders was. Uh, Hard-hearted. Anyway, this article is in a magazine that was called the Berkeley Insider. It was published locally for several years. The writer is my son, Peter. Uh, Now, Peter, Peter, like me, he uses his own persona to make his points. Uh, I won't call it fiction, but uh, I wonder, yeah, I wonder where Peter gets that trait. I, I used to have an alter ego called Sally Sleepwell, I would write in her voice, you know. Never mind, never mind. Uh, Peter lives out in Bolinas these days, and I remember Bill Mandel's delight uh, when he read this article. Uh, Now, Bill Mandel was always positive and optimistic. He had no time for, uh, what do you call that, Uh, negativity, I guess, Uh, I like to tell myself that that is why he lived to be 99. Now, there's a memorial for Bill on Saturday, this coming Saturday, February the 2nd. Uh, it's at Redwood Gardens. That's a place up uh, behind the Clark Kerr campus in Berkeley. You go all the way up to the top of Derby Street. If you're down in Berkeley, just or Oakland, you head for the Claremont Hotel and then get up Derby Street and uh, go past the Clark Kerr campus and the section there. It's Redwood Gardens and it used to be the old blind school. If you need further directions, uh, God knows we need Bill's expertise on Russia more than ever now. Uh, it was never. It was never. Uh, to call it uh, an issue to be ignored uh, even when it stopped being the Soviet and became just old Russia. (laughs) Uh, I think we're going to hear more 
from Vladimir Putin. Anyway, let's see. It says, The View from Bolinas. Now, the article was actually titled, Change Comes to KPFA. It's dated October 1995, and this is my son, Peter. He wrote this article. I, I hope I have time to finish it. I probably don't. I might finish it next week anyway. Peter writes, Something is happening to our airwaves. When I showed up in Berkeley on Wednesday afternoon, I was ready for anything. I had on me $40 in cash for bribes. Some loose change a mini FM stereo Walkman, a Canon S6 camera, good to 50 feet underwater, because one never knows, earplugs, a pair of John uh, Lennon purple moon glasses, a quarter ounce of pot, a few sticks of Gnome Champa incense, and a rubber, unribbed. I was ready. Now, this is good because the story of people picketing the studios of KPFA Radio was news of historic proportions, after all. Wasn't KPFA supposed to be an oasis of sanity and culture in the dangerously narrow-minded world of media? Hmm. You don't protest before such an institution lightly. You may be shooting yourself in the foot. So, how could they have fired Bill Mandel? I had some time before the picketing began, so I went to People's Park, where Food Not Bombs was serving the afternoon meal. There were mostly young people in the park with purple hair and serious body piercing, and they didn't have much to say for KPFA. One man with an overcoat and loincloth told me that KPFA was becoming boring. He stopped listening ever since they dropped the punk rock show. Aha, maximum rock and roll as an experiment. I turned my radio on to KPFA and listened uh, while a smooth-voiced guy talked about the latest trends in the New York art scene. Uh, and on and on. Let's see. Uh, the next section here is all about 104.1 and that's K-A-L-W. I would I would call that uh, the next best station in the Bay Area, but I don't like to measure. I don't like to judge. Uh, K-A-L-W. Uh, anyway, uh, Peter goes on to describe a great deal of, uh, in great detail about the, the material on K-A-L-W. Uh, let's see. And then he finds someone... To discuss Radio Free Berkeley, a pirate radio station operating out of someone's house. <laughs> a footnote here, I should add, uh, I actually uh, did radio there for about a year, two-hour spots I had. That was such fun. Of course, we had a, a range of about three miles, so <laughs> anyway... Uh, the pirate radio station actually did art. It was pretty good, pretty good stuff. Anyway, uh, Peter goes to speak with a volunteer programmer at KPFA, and uh, the volunteer programmer says, The firing of Bill Mandel is just the tip of the iceberg. Imagine punishing the 78-year-old Mandel for not following arbitrary rules. 
My source did go on to say, however, that uh, she still felt KPFA was the best station on the air. I nodded in agreement, but then I started to worry. Some doubt was forming. Now, I've just come to the part where Bill Mandel arrives at the station. You know what I might do? I might take this article to Bill's memorial on Saturday up at Redwood Gardens. And uh, mm -hmm, I will read it to the people there because they might remember, they might remember how that went. Uh, it was quite a scene, quite a scene. Hundreds of people chanting and yelling. And then there was a meeting inside the station. And it was one of those, what do you call that, uh, grand circuses. Uh, this has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air next Tuesday at the same time. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. The 12th Annual Bay Area Flamenco Festival returns this February with performances by world-renowned dancers and musicians direct from Spain's Gypsy Roma community. This year's featured event takes place at San Francisco's Herbst Theater on Sunday, February 19th at 7 p.m. with a thrilling performance by Jose Maya and company joined by the legendary singer Juana La del Pipa. For full festival lineup and tickets, go to bayareaflamencofestival.org. The festival is sponsored by KPFA and benefits Bay Area Flamenco. The festival takes place at venues in both San Francisco and the East Bay from February 12th through February 25th. For more information and tickets to all events and workshops, go to Bay Area